We all need to laugh. We choose truth over facts. And now for a perpetual political protest in progress. Judge my physical, mental, suit, my physical as well as my mental fitness. Coffee time. Coffee time it is, and you have joined the Ammo Can Coffee Social Club Conservative Hour of Power and Enlightenment Salon podcast. I am Jason Floyd, your host, and I, I, I don't have the licenses to play the, the copyrighted music, but I would have liked to open that session with Alice Cooper's Crazy Train, uh, because it seems that the crazy train has left the station and uh, here to talk about that a little bit and launch us into uh, chapter 11 of a 14 part series on the Alaska grand jury is author David Ignell. Welcome back to the mic, David. Well, thanks Jason. It's good to be back with you uh, today. And yes, it is a crazy train for sure. So David and I were talking uh, beforehand about uh, some of the things happening, and and we're going to throw a little teaser out. Something significant has happened uh, at the Supreme Court level when it comes to this issue of the uh, grand jury, but we're not going to really get into that until uh, episode twelve. So so you're going to have to hang tight, but it's. It's a uh, it's a bombshell, and um, uh, you know when you turn the lights on in a in a uh, infested apartment, or you've seen the movies if you've never been in one of these apartments. It has uh, all the cockroaches. You know they turn the lights on and and just everybody's running for every which way. Well, it seems that the uh, light has been turned on long enough that the roaches are starting to go. Oh crap! Uh, we better do something, and. Um, I can't remember. There was an MTV uh, uh, movie that was put out in the 90s when I was in college. And I think it was called Joe's Apartment. And it was about the cockroaches taking over uh, this, guy, this guy's life. And um, that's kind of what we're talking about today. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And um, the, the, in my view of, of what has happened, and, and we'll get into this uh, in, in the next chapter for chapter 12, which um, for, for those listeners who have already read uh, the book, uh, they know that that talks about the Supreme Court um, actions back in 1987 through 1990. Uh, and uh, I just found out this morning uh, that the Supreme Court basically did the same thing that they did, uh, you know, 34 years ago. So, uh, it, it's going to add, uh, you some, know, some flavor. A, a, a new, a, a new flavor, new chapter. Uh, you know, I'm not going to rewrite the book, but uh, uh, it's something that we'll be discussing about, uh, you know, in the next chapter because it's it's the exact same thing, thirty uh, some years later. But it, but the uh, the Supreme Court, in my opinion, has done this in reaction to the uh, to the investigations requested by David Haig and myself. And uh, there was another upcoming uh, grand jury investigation uh, in Anchorage of the OCS uh, that has been uh, directly impacted by this new order. So we can we can get into that uh, in the next hour. Yeah. And, you know, you know, cockroaches like rotting things. 
And isn't it isn't it just so apropos that that uh, the the analogy of court justices to cockroaches would be associated with a rotting system, uh, the rotting system that is our justice system in this state, which uh, which I'm I'm convinced more and more is a state of injustice. Uh, the stories that I hear, the response that we see from people who have been given the public trust, but have abused that, ignored that, minimized that, attacked that. Um, and uh, if we want to preserve our republic, uh, we've got to figure out where the rot is and cut it out. And, um, and maybe the cockroaches will leave when it's no longer advantageous to hang around and eat off the bits of the dying parts of that, that beast. Yeah, I, uh, you know, it, it's just, we, we, you know, I, I sent an email to uh, your, your old history uh, teacher, uh, Bob Bird, uh, earlier this morning, and, and the analogy I used was, uh, you know, a, a, a pot of uh, boiling water, and, and it's now started to boil over the sides of the brim. Uh, you know, this, there, there's just so many things coming to a head right now. Um, I, I forget if we told listeners... Uh, uh, on, on Friday during the last episode for chapter 10 that, you know, I, I sent a letter to the governor, um, on December 1st, uh, requesting the resignation of the attorney general, uh, for his failure to, uh, uh, uphold, uh, his ethical responsibilities, uh, starting with, uh, you know, my grand jury investigation and David Hague's, uh, you know, we've talked on the show earlier about how we're both dealing with, um, uh, attorneys that are being supplied by the Department of Law uh, who have conflicts of interest in advising the grand jury. You know, it, and, it would be uh, it'd be interesting if somebody would file a uh, Freedom of Information Act or Alaska Public uh, um, uh, Documents. Uh, I can't remember what it's called now. It's the Public Records Act. If somebody would request all of uh, Treg Taylor's uh, emails or maybe the the uh, deputy attorney general's emails to find out if there might have been any back and forth with the Supreme Court about this issue and, and their response to see uh, if maybe there's collusion. That was a big, big word that we heard uh, uh, over the last couple of years, collusion uh, between two entities that, that shouldn't really have any influence on each other outside of uh, the courtroom. Well, uh, you know, Jason, I don't know about you, but I'm wondering if that whirring sound that I'm that I'm hearing down here in New Mexico is is the sound of a bunch of paper shredders starting back up in uh, uh, up in Alaska somewhere. Uh, you know, absolutely. Um, you know, those FOIA requests. Um, you know, you were telling me about uh, you know the, the the podcast you had with uh, Mr. Anderson uh, over the weekend. And, you know, he was talking about his FOIA requests and, uh, yeah, it, you know, it's, it's time for the people of Alaska to, you know, get, get our judicial, get our legal system back under control. I mean, it's, it's just not the judges. It's, it's the, uh, it's the government lawyers. And, uh, it seems to me that they're working in concert with each other and you're absolutely right. You know, FOIA requests and, uh, grand jury investigations and you know what we're going to talk about and media uh, media like this we just keep turning up the heat yes yeah i mean i you know i i've submitted a couple articles to the uh, the anchors daily news uh you know critical of opinions that have been critical of our judiciary over the last couple of years and they don't publish them so 
it's this, uh, you know, it, it's, it's the people's media uh, that is starting to pick up this story. Uh, you know, people like you and Bob Bird and, and uh, Suzanne Downing uh, over at Must Read Alaska. And, and Jason, you, you've thrown in some kudos for the Alaskan Watchmen. And, you know, I haven't dealt specifically with them. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's people who've just had enough and, uh, said, you know, we, we're going to follow the truth no matter where it leads. And, uh, no, I, you know, again, hats off to you for, uh, what you're doing up there at, uh, Animal Can Coffee. Well, you know, it's, um, it's, it's like filling a bucket with raindrops, you know, uh, we might not be a very big drop of water at this point, but, uh, you can help us. There's a couple of different ways you can do that. Like and share this podcast with other folks. Uh, the more information that gets out, the more people who know what's going on, the bigger impact we have. And uh, so like the raindrops, uh, when something goes viral, it becomes a thunderstorm. And thunderstorms have a tendency to create deluges that uh, then create flash floods that then wipe out all the garbage in the ditches. And, um, and that's really a good analogy for what we have the opportunity to do together when we unify around some common ideas. And like we've said in the past, this is a nonpartisan topic or should be a nonpartisan topic because it impacts, uh, it impacts uh, you know, the, the mainstream, it impacts minority groups, it impacts uh, Republicans, it impacts Democrats, it impacts Libertarians. Doesn't really matter what station in life you find yourself at. You are at the whim and the mercy of uh, these officials when they decide to go rogue and uh, make the the. And I think it's a conscious decision to say, you know what, this whole government of, by, and for the people, wholly derived from the people. That's a bunch of bunk. We're the ones that actually hold the strings. When they make that conscious decision, they've gone off the farm or the ranch, so to speak, and they need to be reined in. So uh, you can help that way. The other way you can help is you can fund programs like this. I know Suzanne Downing takes uh, donations. So does uh, uh, Joel Davison over there at uh, Alaska Watchman. Um, and, and we do as well on our Patreon uh, account. So uh, you can weigh in by saying, you know what, I'm not going to buy newspapers from the Daily News. I'm not going to buy newspapers from the Juno Empire or or the uh, the uh, Fairbanks Daily Miner or the Peninsula Clarion or whatever your local rag sheet is. I'm going to uh, support uh, my local media. And I would say support us. You know, I know the Daily Wire is a good national organization that looks at national and international politics and issues. But but this is really what we're talking about is is right here at home. So when you look at spending those media dollars, we encourage you to spend local and uh, really get behind uh, folks and then also become a contributor. It's not that expensive to do what we're doing here. And um, and it's not really that hard to do. And it's a lot of fun. So the more voices there are, the more uh, impactful we'll be. Why don't we go ahead and launch into uh, chapter 11, um, David, and uh, and then I can't wait to talk about uh, more in detail what the what the Supreme Court did. So I'm kind of chomping at the bit to get to <laughs> chapter 12. Okay. All right, Jason, uh, just uh, uh, to remind the readers that uh, chapter 10 uh, was about the uh, Juno grand jury report in the uh, in their Sheffield investigation back in 1985. 
And in Chapter 10, we saw how um, uh, the Senate held uh, a, really a joke of a, of a trial of uh, Mr. Sheffield. And uh, the, the Alaska Senate uh, gave him a pass. Uh, you know, they, they didn't uh, uh, go for the, um, uh, the impeachment that the uh, Juno Grand Jury had recommended. Uh, but all 20 senators were, were unanimous in, in uh, asking the Alaska Judicial Council to look at ways to amend the Constitution uh, to take away some of uh, the grand jury's reporting power. So uh, Chapter 11, we're going to take a look at what the Alaska Judicial Council did uh, after, uh, after receiving uh, their instructions uh, from from the legislature. So, uh, without further ado, Chapter 11 is titled "The Alaska Judicial Council Sides with the Politicians, Then Sidesteps the Constitution." <clears throat> One of the first legal reviews to be published regarding the Juno Grand Jury's investigation and the public Sheffield report was a 36-page article appearing in the 1986 Alaska Law Review entitled The Repertorial Power of the Alaska Grand Jury. The principal issue addressed in repertorial power was whether the Alaska Grand Jury, quote, possesses the authority to issue reports critical of identifiable individuals, unquote. As discussed in Chapter 10, Mr. Sheffield's attorneys and some senators vehemently claimed no such power existed. However, repertorial power concluded that the Sheffield report and its ensuing publication was proper. Repertorial power acknowledged that there was a split of opinion throughout the country on the desirability of the grand jury's strong reporting powers under common law. It found that some authorities have praised such reports as, quote, necessary to deter official wrongdoing, unquote, while other authorities have denounced them as, quote, foul blows, unquote, that deny procedural fairness to the criticized individual. In its footnote, citing two authorities in support of both positions, repertorial power cited the Camden case and took view opposite to that of Mr. Sheffield's attorneys, who told the Alaska Senate that the case had been, quote, overruled, unquote. Rather, repertorial power stated that the subsequent 1961 New Jersey Supreme Court case, quote, confirmed the basic principles of Camden, but disapproved of the court's failure to remove certain allegations in the report that were not connected with the detrimental public conditions. Unquote. Much like this study has done, repertorial power stated that, quote, an examination of the historical development of the functions of the grand jury is essential to understanding how the grand jury should operate today. Unquote. Similarly, repertorial power undertook a summary of the grand jury's common law development in, in England, colonial America, and finally, Alaska. With respect to arguments against the reporting power of the grand jury, repertorial power stated, quote, the historical development of the grand jury weakens the force of this argument, unquote. With respect to arguments favoring reports, 
reportorial powers cited Judge Vanderbilt's opinion in Camden with approval. In addressing the law in Alaska, reportorial power began by reciting Article 1, Section 8 of the Alaska Constitution and noted the historical precedent in Alaska of grand juries issuing reports criticizing specific officials. In discussing Mr. Buckaloo's opposition to the expanded powers suggested by Mr. Barr, repertorial power correctly noted that, quote, Delegate Buckaloo apparently believed that his concerns about the amendment were not abrogated because he was one of the eight delegates who voted against the amendment, unquote. Attached as in an appendix to repertorial power were the minutes of the proceedings of the Alaska Constitutional Convention containing the entire dialogue of the delegates on this issue and the identity of the yeas and nays in the ensuing 44 to 8 vote. Included were the important items the governor's memorandum to the Alaska Senate had admitted. Repertorial power conducted a survey of the relevant law in other jurisdictions. It found that 24 other states had expressly addressed the authority of grand juries to issue reports critical of specific individuals, finding that in seven other states besides Alaska, the legislature or the courts had specifically authorized these types of reports. The article cited to Nevada, which, quote, has a grand jury statute that is quite similar to the grand jury provision in the Alaska Constitution. And judicial decisions in Nevada have held that the grand jury may issue reports naming specific individuals, unquote. Repertorial power also looked at federal authority on the subject and found some decisions allowing grand jury reports critical of specific persons. Repertorial power wrapped up its analysis by looking at potential reform measures concluding that because of the, quote, shall never be suspended, unquote, language in the Alaska Constitution, quote, any reform measures adopted must not suspend the reporting power, unquote. The last potential reform addressed by the article was, quote, pre-publication factual review by the trial court, unquote, which cited limitations applied in New York and New Jersey. What repertorial power said next is important in evaluating subsequent actions of the Alaska Judicial Council and the Alaska Supreme Court, which will be discussed later in this chapter and the next. Quote, adopting one of those standards in Alaska would raise significant constitutional questions. Of course, the framers of the Alaska Constitution did not intend that there be false or misleading recommendations. However, granting the grand jury the power to investigate and make recommendations implies that the grand jury should be the body that evaluates the evidence disclosed by the investigation. Allowing a trial judge to reweigh that evidence and perhaps to suppress the recommendation would usurp the grand jury's power. It would appear that such a level of review would contravene the suspension clause, unquote. In February of 1987, three months after repertorial power was published, and 18 months after the adoption of Senate Resolution Number 5 AM, the Alaska Judicial Council finally published its recommendations in a report entitled, The Investigative Grand Jury in Alaska. 
The AJC's 1987 report was 58 pages long, including 140 footnotes. The chairman of the council was Alaska Supreme Court Chief Justice Jay Rabinowitz, who would later join the majority in the controversial 1988 passage of Supreme Court Order 938 and its 1990 to 1991 rulings in the case of O'Leary v. Superior Court. To the council's credit, their report acknowledged several important functions of the investigative grand jury that are well protected by the Alaska Constitution. As repertorial power had done three months earlier, these acknowledgments heaped even more conclusive proof on the view that the attacks on the Juneau Grand Jury's report by Mr. Sheffield's lawyers and some of the senators were unequivocally off base. On the issue of investigating and reporting on public officials, the AJC's 1987 report acknowledged the grand jury's common law roots and concluded, point number one, the investigatory and reporting power of the Alaska grand jury is broad and covers virtually everything of public concern. It can't be hindered or delayed. Number two, the grand juries of England and of the colonies generally acted as, quote, spokesmen for the people, sounding boards for their leaders and vehicles for complaints against officialdom, unquote. Point number three, the investigatory powers preserved by the Constitution particularly apply to investigations of public officials, and later suggesting the grand jury may have a special responsibility to monitor the courts of justice or other public offices, citing to Alaska Statute 12.40.060. And point number four, just as grand juries in Alaska are constitutionally empowered to investigate any matter of public concern, so are they free to report on their findings. On the prospect of a constitutional amendment requested by the senators to curb the powers of the Alaska grand jury, the AJC's 1987 report concluded, point number one, the limitations on report content that exist in other states in the federal system are based on far more restrictive grants of constitutional and statutory authority than are found in the Alaska Constitution. The adoption of substantive limitations in Alaska would therefore require constitutional amendment to restrict the subject matter of investigations, to limit the purpose of reports, or to otherwise effectively suspend the recommendation power of the grand jury. Point number two, while a constitutional amendment restricting the grand jury's investigative powers would re could reduce the due process concerns of public officials, an amendment would substantially alter the role of the grand jury envisioned by the delegates of the Alaska Constitutional Convention. On issues pertaining to the procedural process of launching a grand jury investigation, the AJC's 1987 report concluded, point number one, the Alaska grand jury can investigate potentially criminal or non-criminal public welfare or safety matters on the request of the court or the district attorney or in response to petitions or requests from the public or on the initiative of a majority of the members of the grand jury. Point number two, 
the grand ju- jury clearly has a duty to investigate matters coming to their attention independently of the prosecutor, citing to the oath taken by grand jurors. And point number three, in the case of major investigations, a special panel can be requested. After citing to the importance placed by Alaska founders on the grand jury reporting function and concluding the Sheffield report was well-founded under existing law, the Alaska Judicial Council could have easily ended its 1987 report right then and there. The council could have sent an abbreviated report back to the Alaska legislature to assure all of them that the Juneau Grand Jury had acted appropriately. At that point, it would have been up to the legislature to consider whether they wanted to risk proposing and voting on a constitutional amendment that would undermine the ability of Alaska citizens to hold government officials accountable. However, for unknown reasons, the council seemed determined to please the Alaska Senate at the expense of violating the Alaska Constitution. In a bizarre fashion, devoid of any legal authority, and contrary to the conclusions reached in repertorial power, the AJC's 1987 report recommended the adoption by the Alaska Supreme Court of extensive court rules that would have to be followed before a grand jury report could be made public. Pages four through six of the report's executive summary set forth Proposed Criminal Rule 6.1 for Grand Jury Reports. The AJC's 1987 report explained its rationale for this extensive set of recommended rules as follows, quote, Basic fairness and constitutional due process require that persons identified in grand jury reports be provided with certain protections not currently specified by Alaska law. Unindicted individuals named in at least three Alaska grand jury investigative reports lacked a forum or mechanism through which to respond to these criticisms, unquote. Proposed criminal rule 6.1 extended the protections available to public officials far beyond the law as applied by Judge Pegues in the Sheffield report. The council's recommendations unconstitutionally hindered the Alaska grand jury's ability to report its findings to the public by requiring a court to first find that, number one, the report is supported by substantial evidence, and number two, the report does not infringe upon any protected rights or liberties of that person. Lawyers representing public public officials criticized by the Alaska grand jury could coast a loaded cement truck without a driver through the loopholes proposed by the AJC in Criminal Rule 6.1. Had these standards been in effect in 1985, Mr. Sheffield's lawyers would likely have been able to stop the publication of the Sheffield Report and kept the public in the dark. The four Republican senators on the Senate Rules Committee had said there was substantial evidence of of impeachable conduct by Mr. Sheffield but their Democrat colleague disagreed with that statement. Under the council's proposed criminal rule 6.1, would judges nominated by the Alaska Judicial Council and selected by a Democrat governor fail to find, quote, substantial evidence, unquote, where Democrat officials were involved? 
if the criticized public official was Republican, would the same evidence be decided the other way? Regardless of the constitutional protections, should politically appointed judge judges even be making these calls in cases that have political ramifications? The AJC's 1987 report went way out on the proverbial limb. Without citing any supporting authority, it said their recommended restrictions could be implemented, quote, either by legislation or court rules, unquote. The council did not bother to discuss how these rules didn't qualify as a, quote, delay or hindrance, unquote, that violated the Alaska Constitution. Their report gave no explanation why these substantively restrictive rules wouldn't require an, am- an amendment to the Constitution that couldn't be accomplished without a ratification by the people. The Alaska Senate knew a constitutional amendment was required, but the Alaska Judicial Council, chaired by the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, showed little respect for the Constitution. Besides violating Article One, Section 8, the Council was also recommend- recommending a breach of the doctrine of separation of powers. It was putting the Alaska Supreme Court into a legislative role to protect state officials like Mr. Sheffield, who fell short of the expectations of Alaska's, quote, ordinary, unquote, citizens. Recall in Chapter 5, the New York Code Commission's 1849 effort to curb grand jury reports by proposing restrictive rules. That effort failed when the New York legislature refused to follow the commission's recommendations. Repertorial power had specifically concluded three months earlier that allowing the trial court to weigh the evidence would contravene the suspension clause of Article 1, Section 8. Also recall the discussion about Rocky Flats in Chapter 6, where Professor Lerner stated that, quote, for all practical purposes, similar rules have abolished the grand jury's presentment power. Such judicial discretion guts the power, unquote. As Chapter 12 will discuss next, Alaska Supreme Court Justices Burke and Compton would soon express the same concerns. They weren't buying into the constitutional coup the AJC was recommending, but they were the minority in a five-judge panel. Another outrageous fallacy of the AJC's 1987 report was its contention the proposed recommendations for grand jury investigative reports were, quote, generally analogous to the protections afforded to an indicted criminal defendant, unquote. An earlier report on the Alaska grand jury, adopted by the council in 1975, had recognized that the prosecutor's ability to control the grand jury in criminal indictments offered almost no protection to those accused. The AJC's 1975 report twice used the phrase, quote, rubber stamp, unquote, to describe the grand jury's role in most criminal indictments, saying, quote, one can justifiably conclude that the grand jury's theoretical screening purposes are not operating effectively in practice, unquote. It's hard to comprehend how the Alaska Judicial Council, which calls itself a, quote, independent citizens committee, unquote, could be so concerned with the protection of public officials yet so disinterested in the protection of Alaska citizens falsely accused of crimes and denied their constitutional rights. 
a comparison of the protections given Mr. Sheffield prior to the adoption of criminal rule 6.1 and those denied Mr. Jack after the AJC's 1975 report serves as a case in point of the double standard so prevalent in the Alaska court system. Prior to rule 6.1, Mr. Sheffield was given two extensive opportunities to explain his actions to the grand jury. And the witnesses supporting him were also given several opportunities. The Juno grand jury heard both sides. After the AJC's 1975 report, Mr. Jack and the several witnesses who felt he were innocent were not only denied the opportunity to testify before the grand jury, but the Juno prosecutor suppressed substantial exonerating evidence that his first attorney was pleading with him to disclose. The situation boils down to this. The Juno grand jury that indicted Mr. Jack heard only one side of the story. The Juno grand jury that recommended Mr. Sheffield's impeachment heard both sides of the story. The Alaska, the Alaska Judicial Council proposed rules to give public fi figures like Mr. Sheffield even more protection while doing nothing for ordinary citizens like Mr. Jack. When Mr. Jack brought his case to the Alaska appellate courts, none of the eight appellate judges had any problem with the grand jury indicting him on only one side of the story. Those appellate judges even blessed the prosecution's exclusion of substantial exonerating evidence from the grand jury. They also allowed the prosecution's use of inadmissible hearsay before the grand jury, saying it wasn't material. The span of time between the Sheffield and Jack cases is 25 years. The troubling question of why Alaska appellate judges promoted a double standard to benefit political figures, but nothing to benefit people like Mr. Jack, must be asked and answered. Similarly, the Alaska Judicial Council must respond to the question of why it recommended rules that increase the protection of political figures, knowing that protections of falsely charged citizens are practically non-existent. The AJC's 1987 report had even more shortfalls. It admitted the fact that Mr. Barr's amendment to increase the grand jury's constitutionally protected common law powers went to a vote and won in a landslide, 44 to 8. The council's analysis ignored the fact that not one of the other 55 delegates on the floor spoke in, in support of Mr. Buckaloo's objection, indicating his views were widely rejected. As, as we sh shall see in the next chapter, Alaska Supreme Court Justices Burke and Compton called out this point in their O'Leary dissent, saying, quote, Moments after Delegate Buckaloo spoke against the proposal, the convention voted by an overwhelming margin to adopt it, unquote. One of the more bizarre aspects of the AJC's 1987 report was its repeated citation to a book written by a federal judge in New York while he was under fire for his lenient sentencing in a case. In one of these citations, the AJC advanced a rather absurd proposition that was completely irrelevant to the reporting power of the grand jury. It was a swipe at another fundamental common law power of the grand jury that was expressly codified in Alaska. The ability of the grand jury to investigate things known to individual grand jurors. 
Why was the AJC planting the seeds for additional attacks on the common law powers of the Alaska Grand Jury? Quote, one Alaska statute provides that if an individual grand juror knows or has reason to believe that a crime is committed, which is triable by the court, the juror shall disclose it to the other jurors who shall investigate it. This provision suggests that an investigation might be initiated at the request of an individual grand juror. Legal commentators Frankel and Naftalis caution against such practice. Speaking of the earliest grand juries, they remark, drawn from the rural neighborhood in which they sat, the grand jurors themselves were primary sources of evidence, reporting and acting on things they knew firsthand or had heard, including rumors and gossip. The commentators add, today, in the swirling anonymities of the great cities, where grand juries mostly sit, it would be the rare, and indeed somewhat questionable, case where a grand juror acted on anything within his personal ken, rather than upon knowledge acquired for the first time from testimonies and exhibits presented by a government lawyer in the grand jury room, unquote. To recommend a change in policy by applying the swirling anonymities of New York City, where millions of people reside, to matters of local affairs in small Alaskan communities from Ketchikan to Kenai to Kotzebue, seems outrageous. To suggest it is, quote, somewhat questionable, unquote, for grand jurors to act on their own knowledge, overlooked centuries of firmly established common law practice. Back in England, perhaps the bones of Lord Summers caused the ground to rumble when the AJC 1987 report was published. Worst of all, to suggest that grand juries should dutifully give full faith and credit to prosecutors in criminal cases ignores the clearly expressed apprehensions of many of our founders before they voted overwhelmingly to ensure the grand jury's participation. The council was now promoting additional restrictions on the independence of grand jurors, thereby increasing their reliance on the prosecutors that they had criticized in their 1975 report. The council was even criticizing an existing Alaska statute that codified an important common law power of the grand jury. It's almost unfathomable that the Alaska Judicial Council could be so eager to undermine the constitutionally protected powers of the Alaska Grand Jury. If the Alaska Judicial Council had felt compelled to cite someone from New York as an authority, it certainly could have resorted to a much more authoritative source than a local judge under fire for lenient sentencing. For instance, the 1987 report could have quoted future governor and presidential candidate Thomas Dewey, who praised the common law power of the grand jury and referred to its distractors as, quote, fuzzy-minded crackpots, unquote. Or it could have quoted nationally known publisher George Putnam, who spoke favorably of the grand jury when he said, quote, there is no other way citizens can bring criticism directly to bear upon public officials, unquote. The AJC's 1987 report relied on questionable and inapplicable authority critical of the grand jury while omitting well-established authority that was supportive and explained the necessity of the broad reporting powers of the Alaska grand jury. 
Its report avoided discussing the rich history of common law reporting powers found in England, colonial America, and in the United States. It omitted any reference to Professor Younger's monumental book on the history of the grand jury. It avoided Judge Vanderbilt's influence at the Alaska Constitutional Convention and ignored his extensive discussion in Camden of the grand jury's common law powers. These were unconscionable omissions, yet three judges of the Alaska Supreme Court would soon label the AJC 1987 report, quote, a comprehensive and scholarly report, unquote. And that's the end of chapter 11. Well, as we discussed uh, at the beginning of this episode, uh, chapter 12 will begin with an opening uh, discussion about the Alaska Supreme Court and its decision this week. Um, as we've uh, stated in previous episodes, it seems that uh, the state is headed or was headed. Maybe it still is. Maybe it ha- it's been derailed. We Only time will tell. Uh, towards a watershed event where the Alaska uh, grand jury has its powers uh, restored and the faith and trust of the people thereby is restored through its uh, investigation of allegations uh, targeting corrupt officials and uh, those who are working outside of their professional practice or uh, doing things in unethical or illegal uh, ways. Um, I'm just uh, struck by the timeliness of this book. I'm struck by the timeliness of our discussion and and what's happening uh, in this state. And probably uh, this conversation might be well put to a number of other states that are experiencing sort of the pangs of of, uh, tyranny as they look at their governmental structures uh, who are increasingly overreaching into their private lives and uh, impacting them in negative ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the timing of this, uh, this book, our discussion uh, couldn't be better. Um, you know, I, I had no idea some of the things that were uh, about to take place or that were actually ongoing in our state when I when I wrote this book. And, you know, I'm so glad I did. And um, I'm so thankful for, you know, the opportunity to, to discuss this on your show, Jason. And when I was reading, uh, you know, I just the, the thing that struck me the most in this last chapter, you know, it's been a couple months since I read this. Um, but when I started, you know, talking about the double standard um, that those in power have over, you know, ordinary citizens, you know, that dichotomy between how the Senate and how the Judicial Council and how the Supreme Court, how they protected uh, public officials like Mr. Sheffield and then just completely ignore uh, ordinary citizens like Mr. Jack. Um, you know, they bent over backwards. Uh, the, the, the Alaska Supreme Court and the Judicial Council bent over backwards uh, to help a fellow politician. Uh, but when it comes to somebody like, you know, Thomas Jack Jr. of Huna, who has now spent 12 years in jail uh, and counting on just completely, um, you know, terrible charges and, and uh, 
you know, where, where no interest for the truth was shown by state officials. Uh, and, and the Judicial Council, I mean, they, they, they identified the problems in a report in 1975, and they did nothing about it. And um, uh, we'll see in the next chapter how uh, the two dissenting judges on the Supreme Court in the O'Leary case, they, they even pointed to, to the d- dichotomy uh, between uh, public officials and uh, uh, ordinary citizens. So, you know, that, that's the thing that just really eats me the most is, uh, and, and we've got to fix our system. And, and uh, you know, I, I do think that this is something that other, should interest other states. Um, and, you know, there's going to be some states that hear this, that, you know, they need to go in and they need to have legislation or, uh, you know, preferably constitutional amendments to, to get back the, the common law powers of the grand jury in, in those states. But uh, what we have here in Alaska, we don't have that problem. We, we have the power. We don't need any legislative act. Uh, all we need is uh, the Supreme Court to uh, start, you know, acknowledging that we have those powers. And this Supreme Court has shown that they clearly don't care about the Constitution when it comes not only to grand juries, but other things like the PFE and, and constitutional amendments and uh so we just we take this to the court of public opinion, which oh. is exactly what we're doing today. I wonder how, uh, and that sound in the background, by the way, is snow being shoveled. <laughs> it is snowing pretty <laughs> hard here, uh, and there's a gentleman outside my window. Um, but anyway, uh, I wonder how how likely these these uh, these officials on their ivory ivory pillars would um, how how likely they would be to act in a similar fashion if it were known to them and there was established case law uh, or, or um, statute that said, if you knowingly participate in the unlawful uh, conviction of an innocent person, and it can be shown that you had knowledge of exculpatory evidence, that you will pay the price of whatever uh, whatever uh, sentence has been carried out on that person. So in the case of Mr. Jack, he has been sentenced to, if I'm not mistaken, 50 years, and he served 12 of that at this point, and that uh, those who were in charge of uh, the evidence that was brought against him, who withheld the opportunity for his defense to have access to that exculpatory information that might have otherwise um, uh, shown he was not guilty of the charges brought against him. If if those prosecutors and those uh, th- those judges and those officials involved um, might have acted differently if they thought that, uh, hey, I could potentially sit in jail for 12 years or 50 years or something if this ever comes to light, if they would have been so eager to provide political cover for their friends and cronies and uh, not stand for uh, justice of the people and equal protection under the law and due process and all the other things we've discussed. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there has to be an inter- deterrent to illegal behavior. And uh, in, in our legal system, we, we have zero to none. Um, you know, the, the, the rules, the preamble to the rules of professional conduct, uh, you know, admits that, that the legal profession is, is largely self-regulating. And uh, this, this is what I, you know, my letter to the governor on December 1st, uh, requesting the resignation of Treg Taylor, uh, has to do with his, you know, in my opinion, his violation 
of uh, of ethical duties on his part. And uh, you did know, you ever and, and hear going, back from the governor on that letter? Uh, not not yet. You know, I sent it to his <laughs> I, I sent it to his uh, chief of staff, Tyson Gallagher, on uh, December first. I think in the morning of December first, and I haven't heard back. Um, you know, I sent uh, two letters to Mr. Taylor and, and copied him on a third uh, going back six weeks ago, uh, bringing these uh, ethical violations, these eth- ethical issues to his attention. You know, starting with the grand jury investigations in, in, in my case and, and also in David Hicks. And he never responded. So, you know, again, it's, it's, um, it's, it's high ranking state officials uh, just acting like they're above the law. And, uh, you know, you referenced the ivory pillar that uh, these judges are sitting on. I, I call it a gold pillar because, uh, you know, the, the, the state of Alaska has so much wealth. You know, you look at all the billions and billions of dollars that have uh, been built up in the permanent fund and the billions of dollars that have been spent by the legislature uh, over the last 30 years. I mean, you know, it's got to be what, over, you know, 100 billion or something like that. And, uh, you know, you take all that money and, and you, you create a stack of gold and, and uh, that pillar of gold would go up pretty high in the sky. And, and that's what these judges are sitting on. And in my opinion, you know, this, this oil money uh, is, is what has corrupted our legal system. And, and we see it, uh, you know, we just see it borne out in, in so many things. I mean, I recently I've been looking at this uh, uh 2017 opinion by the Alaska Supreme Court, which upheld Governor's Walker, uh, Governor Walker's veto of the PFD in 2016 when he cut it in half. And uh, I, I've got a lot of problems with the uh, with the reasoning of the Supreme Court in that opinion. And uh, so the you know, and I know that there's a lot of people upset in Alaska uh, about what they did to the PFD. I, I mean seems to me that that maybe uh, every Alaskan now is is owed somewhere in the neighborhood of five ten thousand dollars for uh, the shortfall in the PFD uh, over the last six years yeah I mean last year was a was a record year but you know that doesn't make up for the shortfall uh, that's been uh, robbed from the people over these over these last six years so well, the, uh, the reality one, reality of that situation is it's debatable as to whether or not uh, that money actually came from the PFD account, because I've heard uh, now a number of times from other folks that uh, that that money actually was spent out of the general fund and um, called the PFD, but it wasn't even wholly a PFD because they parsed it out and said that part of it was an energy subsidy. So, so it's a big shell game, folks. Uh, and the politicians are very adept at playing it. Uh, it's the environment in which they live, and uh, they've learned how to manipulate information. They've learned how to make us feel helpless and hopeless and disempowered, and they like it that way. That is the status quo. And um, uh, I need to uphold, hold a little bit of the status quo here on the show real quick, so I'm going to take a, a, a few moments to... Uh, make people aware of some some local businesses that have been generous to support the ammo can coffee social club and um and this this uh podcast uh one of those is hot dogs a la carte hot dogs a la carte uh annette and um and the gang down there at hot dogs a la carte have uh offered a uh, dinner for a family as uh, one of the prizes for our quarterly jackpot prize drawing that we will have down here uh in january 
And uh, if you're a paid member of the club, then you get entered into all the prizes in the jackpot uh, prize drawing. There's not only one prize. There's a number of them. Now, the grand prize in that jackpot drawing is uh, for uh, a night, uh, actually two nights for two people at the House on the Rock B&B in beautiful Seldovia. That's across Catchback Bay from Homer. Uh, and that also includes a Winter King uh, charter with uh, Seldovia Fishing Adventures. And that is an awesome prize. It's w- worth well over $1,000. And for the folks who win that, they can also bring two friends with them for an ad- additional 500 bucks a head. Um, but uh, these are businesses that are doing good work in the community. They're working hard. They're kind of minding their own business, but uh, they too um, uh, exist in, in, the, in a space that is deeply impacted when the government uh, overreaches its authority. And uh, we just uh, encourage you to buy local, support local businesses, support platforms like this. And, um, you know, together, as I said before, uh, we can be many, many drops in that bucket uh, that creates a uh, a deluge uh, fills that sucker up. You know, we can be the thunderstorm and uh, maybe these uh, political forces that would like to keep us subservient will reap the whirlwind, so to speak, when we all combine our thoughts and our prayers and our actions towards the preservation of liberty and justice for all. We are Americans. We are Alaskans. uh, And we appreciate your support. Stay tuned for episode number 12 and the big reveal of the ongoing evolution of the Alaska Grand Jury and what just a little bit of pressure from a handful of people has done to move mighty men uh, in their power, powerful uh, uh, halls of justice to turn a blind eye to the system that empowers them and create their own tyrannical rulings outside of the law. 